And it's like one other per- person who I kind of know. So were you getting into it with people on Facebook or people were just talking about it and people, that's what was... People were talking about it. I just do that. I don't engage them. I just, mm-hmm. I basically placed it like in the middle. Mm-hmm. Like here it is. I know that you guys, because you're talking about this, I know you guys see this. Nothing. And I know that you have an opinion on it. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And they just go around it. And I... I kind of like that too. I like that word. Like, <clears throat> I'm not thinking that what I'm going to say, whether I drop my my thing straight in there or whether I blog about it, I'm not thinking that that's going to have an impact on them, yeah. right? That they're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But I, I like that it confirms that nobody cares about any other position or opinion than their own. Right. And that it's a confirmation that nothing that I do matters. Which I'm, which I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. I, I, I totally accept like the yeah. world as it is. Yeah. I'm not special. I'm not unique. Right. Like, and I'm fine with that. But I feel like social media and it's such a good reminder, right? That you can post something and say something that you really believe in and no one's going to listen to it. Nobody cares. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I want to talk about too, because I guess, um, Julia, posted something on Facebook on April Fool's Day, which was like the uh, tw- uh, thing a tw- thing for twins. Like we have twins or something. Oh, yeah. I which think is I a that. Facebook tradition that she does, I suppose, on April Fool's. Which seems like a pretty harmless April Fool's joke. But sure enough, one of her, I think, you know, it's just one of these people that you friend on Facebook that you've known throughout your life, but you don't really know. Mm-hmm comments and is like just something along the lines of like you may think this is funny but we just um we've been trying to conceive for a long time and we lost twins and we're finally pregnant again with twins and i don't think this is funny or something like that Mm -hmm. and it just is like and and that and she came and Julia came to me and she was just kind of like she was obviously frustrated and upset because like you know what I mean right. like that's not at all the point uh, and but she was just kind of like what should I do and my response was just and I probably would have told you the same thing I my response was just delete her comment if you can delete her comment because I think you can do that if it's your post or whatever delete her comment or whatever, and then just unfriend her and just like, you know what I mean? Just like, yeah, get that person move on with it. Right. Just, but I think she was just like, you know, I wasn't trying to hurt anybody's feelings. This is just a joke I do every year, but it's just like, how do you, how do you live when you are so easily offended? You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. how do you get through a normal day in your life? when you're that sensitive to things like I understand that's a difficult thing that that they've gone through. I'm not trying to belittle that or downplay that at all, but just like, I don't know. It just well, is isn't, like, isn't this the kind of idea of like pillow talk and this idea of two people coming together at the end of the day and airing grievances and kind of like containing that to your relationship and to your bedroom that now, in social media, there's just an immediate outlet and there's no kind of reflection for you. You would hope that a spouse or whatever would help balance that feeling out. Like somebody, she has the right to feel that way. She, sure. has, she has the right to feel offended by that. But then you'd hope that somebody in her life could be like, 
that's kind of an unfair and unbalanced way to feel about that because right. Julia doesn't know you in a real way and she's not thinking about you and posting this. It's not like she has you in mind when she's like, oh, I'm going to joke about twins because right. blah, blah, just lost twins, you know? Right. And it's not even a joke about twins. Like the joke is that we had our two kids relatively close to one another, right? And so the joke is kind of like, hey, we're at it again, right? That's kind of the joke is not we're (laughs) like we're so good at this and you're not. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just kind of like but I think like you said, it's either you either have a you have two people who are that easily offended in the marriage or I think more more than likely it's social media is such an immediate thing. It just is. I'm seeing this. This is my immediate reaction. Right. And I have the ability to write it and send it out immediately. And you no longer have a, the ability to, con- to, to control that and to curb yourself from doing that. Uh, but B you, you also, you have the means to do it. So you just do it. Well, and I, I don't know if you recorded this previously, but I do feel like that's when I go to social media for my kind of my presence on Facebook acts like my meditation, like my Zen meditation mm-hmm. moment where it places me in the universe. It really does. I think other people go to social media to validate their feelings and ideas because you can find all sorts of validation on there. Yeah. I go on there to validate my feelings that I'm insignificant, that my thoughts and opinions don't matter, that nobody really cares. And then everybody's involved in their own narratives to such a point that they don't have space for anybody else's. So I like the fact that when there's a hot topic going on, if I put in, if I, if I either try and write original content, that's my own or link to original content. That is what I feel is more balanced and thoughtful. It will get resoundly ignored. Yeah. Which I love the fact that people don't even spend the time on the things that I post to debate. Mm -hmm. They just completely ignore. And these are people who will jump all over lesser posts and stuff. So I know, I know they see my feed, Yeah, you know, and I, I, I like that. So with my last dust up, I love the fact that I posted some, I wrote something, I posted it and it, it was just a, a breath in the wind. There's a fart in the wind. Well, see, That's I didn't want to saying. say fart because I because I wrote that. Oh, right. I didn't right. write a fart. I wrote a breath. Oh, a beautiful, okay. uh-huh. fragranted uh-huh. breath uh-huh. was released on the on the wind. Yeah. Well, I think appropriately enough, we're talking about today. We're going to be talking about one of the things we'll be talking about is Don Hertzfeld's World of Tomorrow, which I think is very loosely connected to these ideas Mm -hmm. Uh, but we'll talk about a little bit this is everything is interesting i'm justin blizzard and i'm here with keith krepko uh the writer of ignored words on social media (laughs) Um, find me on there if you want to read them and or or ignore them yourself yeah yeah. follow me and then ignore them just something else that you can sort of uh browse past yeah you know that's since rejoining Twitter or sort of like reinstalling Twitter on my phone, I've a couple weeks ago or maybe like a month ago now, I've written one thing and I have, and it's like a <laughs> just a terrible joke. Mm-hmm. 
And I've had literally no interest whatsoever in posting anything else. And I deleted Facebook a long time ago and no interest at all. I don't even think about that. Like Twitter, yeah. I still get on and check because there are people I like to follow. <laughs> Facebook, I'm just... Well, let me challenge you. What do you have in your life that makes you feel insignificant? Oh, same thing. Everything. I okay, have, good. Listen, as long I, as have you have, a, I have a website I'm paying money for. That I post That's things good. to. See, I don't. I don't trust somebody who doesn't have some <laughs> social media aspect of their life that is right. completely being ignored. Yeah, and no. ignoring them. Oh yeah, no. Trust me. I feel I get more than my share of being ignored. Okay, good. Um, yeah. So, whilst we'll uh, we'll we talk about other things, I'm, I'm going to talk about. Uh, I watched a little bit of Bloodline. Uh, what else did I watch? Uh, I think we'll be talking about, like I said, Don Hertzfeld. Uh, World of Tomorrow, Bloodline. Uh, we'll be talking about last week's recommendation, which got sort of uh, substituted, but we'll talk about that in a little <laughs> bit. Uh, and I, I think that's all I've really got were those two things. I haven't been doing much. It was kind of a slow week for me. Uh, I got some. I, I got a few more things to talk about. Or do yeah, you want what are a couple of things you're going to be talking about uh so i'm going to be talking about a video game i've been playing called the disappearance of ethan carter okay and probably another kind of social media game called alto's adventure and uh and then i've been watching um the unbreakable kimmy schmidt Mm -hmm. which i don't believe i've talked about in here no i brought it up once okay Mm -hmm. and maybe uh maybe a little hidden item of what i've been reading but I don't know okay. if we. I don't know if we want to go down that rabbit hole. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll uh, take a quick break, and we will come back with all of the above. So let's talk about Bloodline. So you have finished the entire series. I'm done. I've only watched the first two episodes. So spoilers for the first two episodes of Bloodline. So far, I think it's... uh, I think it's like a hair below great. Mm -hmm. I really like it. There's a couple of things that are bugging me. But I'm only two episodes in, so I'm not really hanging my hat on those things yet. Yeah. How did you feel... Two episodes in? ...of the season as a whole? The season as a two, whole? Maybe two episodes in and then the season as a whole. Because I feel like when I first talked about this, I was about six episodes in. Mm-hmm. And the first two episodes I remember vividly because we both talked about... I think the first time either of us really heard this recommended, the guy said, this is like a slow, slow right uh show and you and the way that's structured is to kind of prevent it from being even categorized as a slow show because it has in every episode a flash forward to a extremely violent and exciting action packed event 
And I feel like just the way that's structured is like every episode you're getting some flash forward at least. So literally in order for it to be a slow show, everything leading up to that would literally have to be them like arguing over being on time for dinner and things. Which they kind of do. In the first, so that's so that's my one of my issues with the show is the flash forwards, and this is a conversation that people have had around Breaking Bad because Breaking Bad did the same thing with its fifth season, and I feel like the same conversation was kind of had about True Detective, maybe mm-hmm. because and the argument is basically that because you know where these characters are at in the future. It takes the drama out of the present, right? Right. You know where these characters are going. You you know at least you know these two are alive through the end. So any mortal peril they're in until then, you're like, oh well, they're not dying here. Right. So in the case of the first episode, the where the characters end up in the flash in the flash forwards in the first episode and where they're at in the first episode like the gulf is <laughs> it's like the grand canyon you know what i mean it's just as like like in true detective you see rust cole as this kind of strung out alcoholic and then you see him in the past as a guy sort of struggling with those things and so you can make that connection right whereas in the first episode of Bloodline, you see Kyle Chandler, Chandler who is a 100% complete good guy sheriff in the present. And in the flash forwards, he is literally blowing his brother up on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like it seems really ridiculous, especially when also in that first episode there is a extended scene where they're arguing about whether or not the um, disconnected brother's girlfriend is going to be allowed to sit at the family table. Yeah. And it's kind of like, real. It, uh, to me, that is an argument over someone being late. That seems like a ridiculous argument. And, it, and the excuse of like, you know how upset mom and dad will be about that seems ridiculous as well especially when you have a brother who you're trying to welcome back in the family the family is then going to make him feel like such an outsider that he his girlfriend can't sit at the family table with them you know it just seemed like it seemed like a petty argument that may that may be the point that may be how families argue and that's another thing that i may be missing a connection from is because i'm an only child so I don't, everyone knows that right? just, just by listening to you talk. <laughs> so a lot of the sibling stuff. I mean, I'm not. I'm kind of an only. I grew up an only child. I have brothers and sisters, but they're all so much older than me that I didn't really grow up with them around. Yeah. So I don't have that interaction, bickering, that interaction. It doesn't resonate with me. So mm-hmm. a lot of it just seems kind of silly. Yeah, I think I I can agree. I can play devil's advocate really quickly and just say sure. I think what they're trying to say is there's a depth of hurt linked to this brother character coming back that has poisoned everything. Yeah. So it's not just about him coming back and sitting at the family table and then bringing another one of who they expect he's going to bring and having her there too. It's that's more of a statement of his past behavior 
than if he were to just say, I'm coming as like, I'm committing to this family. I'm not worried about this woman that I'm not really seeing, but I'm just bringing for whatever reason. Um, I think, I think that's what they're trying to say. I do. I do agree that I think they picked a wrong battle, even good actors. I think they had trouble selling that one, Mm -hmm. you know? So I, I agree. I, I think, I think they, they were trying to speak to a deeper hurt that's feeling that, but, but I, I agree. Didn't, that that scene stuck out to me too. It's like, eh. yeah, and I just think I think as a whole, I don't agree. I think I don't I don't agree in sort of I don't agree with sort of uh, saying this thing works one hundred percent of the time and it doesn't work or it doesn't work one hundred percent of the time. But in the case of flash forwards, I feel like in True Detective it works. In Breaking Bad, it didn't bother me. In this show, for me, in the first two episodes, it has not worked, mm-hmm. and that's been the one thing that, like, I, I don't, I didn't feel that the, I don't. So far, I haven't felt like the show has been slow at all, and I feel like it, at least at this point, it would be better served to just leave that scenario in the future and stop and, referencing it, right, and let it ramp up to the point to where you, you, it happens. And you haven't been thinking about it the entire season or the entire run of the series. Because at this point, I'm now, I'm cross-referencing every single scene, every single argument with, with, that, with that end game, right? I'm, I'm thinking, okay, how does this play into that? How does this play into that? Instead of it being this sort of like growing descent in the relationship... Every single time something happens, I'm like, that doesn't seem like enough to make me want to blow up my brother. You know what I mean? I'm I'm gonna make a prediction and say you're going to get to this episode to the end of this season, and you're going to all the problems that you have with these first two episodes are going to be with you. You end up going to like the season, sure. But I I think they try and do some interesting things, and there's there's a few things that even about the flash forwards that they're going to recontextualize a little bit. Mm-hmm. But even with that, I don't think it's going to move the pieces around enough for you to come around. I think I look forward to having the full conversation with you. Cause I think we're going to, you're, you're going to be saying these same things on a grander scale mm-hmm. in terms of the season. Ultimately, I think the show holds up. Sure. It's it's I'd much rather talk about this than house of cards, mm-hmm. which I, Watch all of season three, right? I don't mm-hmm. think I, we talked about it on here. Well, I have, I've never watched House of Cards. And it's not worth talking about. So I'd rather talk about Bloodline. Yeah. All right. Well, I have one question. And this okay. is a spoiler for this series for the first season. Is that, is the blowing up of the brother part of the first season? Does that happen by the end of the first season? Yes. Oh, it does. Okay. Well, at least I'm not, it's not like a, the killing series thing. Right, right. It's yeah. not like this is the last scene of the episode or this is of the right. series or whatever. Yeah, this is the last scene and you'll we'll get there in five seasons. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh so what have you been watching? Uh The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Mm-hmm. I watched You've watched and all of the first season? I'm I'm like one or two episodes away from the end, I, I mm-hmm. think. Or maybe maybe a few more. But the one thing that I really like the series. But 
the one thing that I want to bring up, so in case anybody listens to this, in whatever future they're at, they can find me and confirm this. And have you kept watching? Have you watched any more than the first? I've only watched the first two episodes. They have the most awkward transition out of jokes. Mm-hmm. It is like Norm MacDonald's transitions on late night, mm-hmm. which we've talked about. If you go watch a Norm MacDonald interview with Conan O'Brien, after he says a joke and he, there's this dead air uh-huh. as they're trying to like transition out of this joke that he's dominated the time with. Yeah. That happens, and because it's a Tina Fey show, it's really quick. Like, there, a lot of jokes are coming at you. So it's not just like where one time an episode, there would be like an awkward um, joke and an awkward moment, and then you keep going. It happens like 15 times in 20 minutes, mm-hmm. where there's like 15 jokes that have, and largely it's this character, Titus. Mm-hmm. So if anybody watches this, am I wrong in that there are certain jokes that they will just either cut to Titus or Titus will say, and they just stay on him for a beat too long. Mm -hmm. And it just has the most awkward joke pacing I've ever seen in my life. Like it almost seems like they were trying it with a laugh track Mm -hmm. and they canceled the laugh track, but they kept the edit of the show in as if there was a laugh track. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just so bizarre and I also will kind of say that it's winning me over this kind of weird pacing that at first was throwing me off. I kind of anticipate now and like it's one of those things like a like I don't know. There's um, something in your shoe that's kind of rubbing you the wrong way, and you're too lazy to take it out, so you mm-hmm. end up just because you have to. You like it, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you convince yourself that yeah. oh no, the rock in my shoe. Is actually a good feature. I ha- yeah, I haven't noticed it. it. It might be a part of you know. I I heard the that it was originally made for NBC, NBC but then they then they kind of yeah I guess. they they either sold it to Netflix or they just kind of passed on it. And yeah, it and so I heard that they were able to put in a bunch of jokes that they had to cut out before. So right. maybe it's a sort of after effect of that. I think somebody's made this point before, but I, d- I just want to pull up NBC's lineup and be like. Oh, so you really, really needed this new, uh, with Seth MacFarlane's the Fox guy, right? Yeah. Like you really needed this, uh, big bang theory knockoff, you know, in place of unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, you know? Yeah. It's like, what, mm-hmm. what were their priorities over a new Tina Fey comedy, which is at least going to be more interesting than mm-hmm. 80% of other comedies out there. Yeah. But I, I would, I'd highly recommend it. Um, watch the show. I've worked in the other thing too, kind of tying it back to our social media thing. There's a line from it that I put. So I kind of wrote a serious blog post about something that upset me. And at the very end, I put in a line from Kimmy Schmidt Mm -hmm. because and it makes no sense, especially unless you've seen Kimmy Schmidt, which especially anybody who was talking about that issue on social media, none of them watch. Right. And I just, again, wanted to see, is anybody paying attention? And it's like, nobody is, you know? Yeah. Even people who are like, right, and are like, oh, good good thoughts or whatever, never mention this line that for real, in the context of what I wrote, is like, I had a psychotic break. <laughs> what does that final line mean? Uh-huh. And just nobody asks about it. Uh-huh. So it's like, I want to do that now in, in everything that I write, even at work. <laughs> just put in this line from Kimmy Schmidt, like a nonsense yeah. line. And... uh 
And to see how many people come back on and be like, hey, what was this? What was this uh, right. line about? <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about uh, Don Hertzfeld. Don, so Don Hertzfeld released a short last week or sometime called World of Tomorrow. And it's on Vimeo and you have to rent it. It's four bucks. It's good for 30 days. And right. The rental is good for 30 days. And I guess it's his first uh, short made digitally. So he does everything with, you know, pen and paper. Uh, but he decided to give it, uh, uh, give the digital stuff a whirl. And I, you know, I guess the, I don't know if he planned it this way or what, but the subject matter is also the digital world. So it's kind of about, for me, it was about social media, really. It was just kind of, so I, I guess it's um, the main character is a little girl. Emily Prime. Right. And she's interacting with her third generation clone, basically, from the future. And it's, you know, 16 minutes long. I would I I think it's I think it's great. I would definitely recommend it. But what did you what did you think about it? What what did you think the message was? Did you resonate? Did it resonate with you? It it did. And I I feel like, you know, and I I wrote this again in my letterbox to review. Mm which I mentioned every show mm-hmm. um, that some people on Twitter, if you search your know, world of tomorrow, it's literally people who are saying they like burn their house down in a beautiful rage after watching this. Like they were just so overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. They just had to like, they've never cried more than they have in these 16 minutes wow. and it destroyed them and uh-huh. all this stuff. And for me, I watched the, the the short, and it had a just a sobering kind of profound quiet afterward. Mm-hmm. Like I just kind of it hit me, and I didn't cry, and I didn't bawl, and it it doesn't say anything new, but it right. says it in an interesting way, and and the message it says is no less true mm-hmm. for being unoriginal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I don't begrudge people, I guess, for trying to promote it by saying, you know, they just bash their head in with beauty after watching this thing. Uh-huh. But um, but I didn't have that profound of a, of a reaction other than to say it did kind of reorient my thinking um, on the issues of social media and just on life in general in a, in a subtle way yet real way. And I don't think you can discount uh, a short film that has that power to do that. So what did you think the social media message was that was, you know, uh, to me it was just kind of like we're pouring our lives into this medium basically. Right. Yeah. I mean everything. And what I love about it is the, is the density of the short. It's just packed full of stuff. Right. right? So everything comes out in a line, literally one line from the third generation clone of Emily that you really have to be attuned to, to pick up. So in her future that she's telling Emily prime about who I think we should mention too, is like a four year old girl. She's talking to this four year old and just telling her everything about the future. And one of the lines is, you know, our, our present now is basically just people watching screens of people watching screens Mm -hmm. because they now have the technology to actually pull image data off of the atoms that, are in the air and are basically recording. You can record those images. Yeah. 
So people have become obsessed with watching the past, which is just somebody else watching something else. So that I think is a is a it's like the ultimate throwback Thursday. Ultimate throwback Thursday, right. right? And and I think it's a it's a really nice kind of again, subtly profound insight into playing this out to its logical conclusion and saying, where could this lead us? And you, it's not too far to hear CK, you know, Louis CK talk about people, you know, watching a screen to filter through real life. Mm -hmm. And then Don Hertzfeld saying there's a future where all only people do is watch screens. Yeah. I guess because I've always resonated with that message. I didn't, I mean, I definitely picked up on it and I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was a great message and I think it's very true. I guess it didn't really grab me that much. To me, the sort of standard bearer is still um, super sad, true love story. The Gary Steingart book, Mm -hmm. especially with um, that app Periscope coming out periscope and meerkat have you mm. heard about those apps no uh and and the and the and the you know watching the past and screens watching screens is also applicable but it's 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 twitter with a live video right so periscope is twitter's app and it's literally you just are live you, your phone is your live feed and you're just videoing what you're doing right <laughs> and in in 140 seconds or less no <laughs> no it's uh, it's an unlimited stream, stream and whoever follows you can watch what you're doing and to tie it back into super sad true love stories so one of my favorite anecdotes an- anecdotes about that book is that in the book um it f- sort of features not heavily, but one of the sort of background uh, commentaries in the book is is onion skin jeans. Right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's these onion skin jeans that come out that are basically just translucent jeans. And Gary Steingart had said before the book was even published, somebody had already, like in some fashion show, had like made onion skin jeans like you know and it wasn't like a tie into the book it was just and in but in the book something that's featured very prominently is this like pendant that people wear and it all it does is stream live video of what they're doing so like this guy is famous for this live stream and it's just him at a bar right mm-hmm. so that's the first thing that it reminded me of but then with the periscope thing it's like i was looking at somebody's something on some social media right and they were like great lead in right they were like check me out i'm on this thing and i'm on this thing and i'm on periscope right and then somebody was like somebody commented below and was like hey sorry to bail on your periscope my my internet cut out or something sad to miss your doggy cuddle session right and and it's just as like there's so many questions, you know what I mean? Like, why are you sh- sharing that with, why is that a live feed of you cuddling with your dog? First of all, why are you sharing that with people? Second of all, who are the psychopaths that are watching that? You know what I mean? Like my first inclination would be like, who, what type of person that's not either my daughters or my wife 
would want to watch a video of me cuddling with my dog. And if my wife really wanted to watch that, I would be a little concerned. You know what I mean? Don't, like that's just not interesting. Right. Don't cast aspersions though on people who <laughs> like to watch cuddle sessions with animals. Right. I mean, I there are worse psychopaths. Oh, out sure, there sure. Than, <laughs> but it just is it just is weird, right? Oh, no, no, it that is. It's just it a is. strange reality that we live in. And maybe psychopaths is a little strong of a word, but <laughs> it that is like so strange. And it's just like there's so many better things you can be doing with your life. At that mm-hmm. moment, and it just is like, it's so weird. But it's, you know, uh, to bring it back to World of Tomorrow, it all ties into that. And those are all things I thought of while watching it. Um, but it wasn't like, and I think too, it, and it's, it's you know, it's social media. It's like on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, if you're not being the most or the best or the loudest or the funniest like you don't even try, right? Like that's the whole point is to to be the most extreme of what you're trying to do. Yeah, I think it's the loudest. I think it pretty sure. much ends there. Yeah. I don't think anybody cares if you're the funniest. I think people just care. Are you doing something loud? And is it something that's either distracting or is it something that I can subsume my lack of personality underneath? Yeah. And just emulate or bask in the glory of somebody who I perceive as having more of a, a personality than than I do. <clears throat> and that's how I feel kind of about like gaming culture a little bit. Just people basking in the glory of somebody they perceive as having like more personality than them yeah. or whatever. When really it's like, man, talk about the blind leading the blind yeah. you know gaming culture is literally one of the worst things in the world i i, I have to <laughs> it agree it is terrible i ended i've stopped listening to a whole podcast because yeah. they they stopped having the people actually review games and had like the ceos or whatever mm-hmm. of the company the people who started this thing come on and they just they were horrific people mm-hmm. and they weren't interested in games at all they were just mm-hmm. they were just tools and and had no idea and i was like wow this is this is pulling back the veil yeah yeah (laughs) these are people getting rich off of off of gamers (laughs) and you know people oh it was it was horrible but anyway back to world of tomorrow yeah um so yeah i mean i I, and i honestly i don't think that don hertzfeld is concerned with making a thorough argument about one necessarily one idea right Mm -hmm. like it's not it's not like he makes a little social argument here and then he kind of ties it in at the end it's just an observation in in, in a larger story it's just like hey this is the this is the future and you could apply to this world he doesn't make a big deal about it right and that's the whole short too it's like he's not making a big deal about it and the 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 profundity is not again in what he's saying. Like that social media thing isn't outrageous and right. And oh, I've never heard that before. Uh, in the same thing about life, like at the end, the third generation Emily just kind of boils down her message. She's like, "Our time is running short. This is what you need to do, Emily. Enjoy life. Mm-hmm. Live every moment. Right? Blah blah blah. That that was right. it. It's not advocating to burn your house down or delete all of your social media life or any of that. It's just like you said, it's just as a kind of a small, interesting observation. Yeah, I feel like some of these responses are just a, a hair away from being like, 
Don Hertzfeld, I left my family. I live in the desert now. <laughs> I, this is the last time anyone will hear right. from me, and I'm going to whip myself with uh, reeds for the rest of my life. Tell me like, what to do next right. before I log off permanently. <laughs> yeah. And so I'd be like, all right, guys. Like I, you know, and, and look, you're trying to generate buzz. And, and this, I guess, is the, is the internet hype machine. And the way to hype it is to say, like, try and basically outdo somebody in 140 characters. Right, exactly. You know, instead of just saying, like, watch a short film, it's, it's profound and it's subtle and it's good. It's funny. It's interest. It's made interestingly. Yeah. yeah. The, okay, period. Like, send that out. What did you think of the scene where the third generation Emily starts, like, pulling memories mm. out of mm. Emily Prime. It really creeped me out for some reason. Oh, man. It, it made it, me uncomfortable. It started creeping me out, but then, again, that to me was the most exciting part of the short because the whole time you're watching this and it's interesting, but I'm I'm waiting for that moment, right? And in some of my favorite films, there's a moment where I just get floored. And I've heard some people say, you know, different things. It's a transcendent moment. I've heard some people say that's what they look for in, in film or whatever. Or Herzog likes, you know, the idea of the ecstatic truth as kind of a broader point of saying, like, that's what he's after in the narrative. Who cares about the real truth? Mm-hmm. You're after this ecstatic experience of the truth. Um, and I had that moment in this at that scene where it is kind of creepy and you're wondering the whole time about her motivations for coming back and and why is this happening? And there's subtle hints of danger, right? Where she talks about the dangers of time travel. Mm-hmm. And then she is like, Emily, I'm now bringing you to my time period. And you're like, <laughs> what you just talked about people getting like blasted out into space. <laughs> and now you're just like, all right, Emily, now I'm going to do this. So you yeah. wonder like, does she have the best interest of Emily prime at heart or what's really going on? And, um, and in that, I love the fact that Don Hertzfeld melds this moment of eeriness, right? And and it is kind of a threat. Like I have come for this for this purpose. Now give me this memory. Like that that is there's something right off putting about that exchange. And then the memory starts coming, and you hear Emily Prime start talking about it. And it's again just in the nature of the film. It's just this tiny moment of her walking with her mother and it is sad because guess what emily prime will no longer have that memory Mm -hmm. right like Mm -hmm. this is the beginning of this journey where she loves that memory so much that she's going to come back after three generations after hundreds of years to get that memory so the third generation emily is taking something of value from emily prime Mm -hmm. and that's that's not right Mm-hmm. At the same time, the memory itself is so beautiful in its simplicity, and it is so thematically right in what Don Hertzfeld's doing that it's the it's the perf it's the perfect moment of mm-hmm. that film. It mm-hmm. it totally ties in everything in five seconds. Yeah. Do you think it's making a strong connection between sharing memories on social media and losing them. That's interesting. Or do you think it just is confined to the world of the 
the world of tomorrow. Well, yeah, going back to our conversation last week. By sharing those memories on social, are you losing them? Are right. you losing a part of them? Right. I, I honestly, that never struck me. Are you devaluing them at all? Right. That 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 did not, that idea did, did not strike me. I don't think that it, it's not there. I think mm-hmm. it's absolutely there. And the fact that you saw that, again, going back to last week, validates it. So now that you say it, no, absolutely. And and I agree with that. Mm-hmm. E, you know, if, if Don Hertzfeld had that idea, um, I would be fully on board and say, yeah, I do think if you post, if you post a memory and as soon as you make it public, it is devalued. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because you, you have no control of that anymore and you don't know what people are doing with that image, right? Whether you want to go off into, you know, weirdo land where you do hear about some people who take other people's social media photos and where Photoshop create themselves into them and create it, a yeah. life out of it. Like, like that, that has happened, mm-hmm. you know, or if you just want to talk about, yeah, somebody who is, you know, like Julie experienced, it's totally misinterpreting what your intent was. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, this was, this was not intended for that purpose. So don't take it and, and misapply it, but, mm-hmm. but you can't control it. Right. Right. So absolutely it's devalued. You know? Right, yeah. The only way you can control it is just by not putting it out there. Not putting it on there. Or like having a social media that literally only has the people in your immediate family that you value. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, anything you post there, because you're, you're controlling it and it's for its intended audience. But mm-hmm. no, yeah, if you make it out to the public, it absolutely becomes devalued. Which is interesting because with art, when you release it to the public, it becomes valued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a very astute observation. There it is. <laughs> See, that's the moment, Justin. That right there was the moment of this episode. It was the transcendent, the ecstatic truth moment. It was, uh, I just hope somebody's out there to pick up on that. <laughs> right. But yeah, th- that's the other thing. This is another thing we do where we get ignored, right? And that's not to be like. No, yeah. Right? I love just it. Is, it just is right. It just is an honest truth, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. and 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 I like the fact that it's like you know, we are talking, we're discussing these things and it's giving value to the handful of people that it gives value to. Right. And, and to To us. us. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Okay. So let's move on. That's uh, Don Hertzfeld, World of Tomorrow on Vimeo. Very good. Very good. And I I want to endorse every single interview he gives. Mm. Have you read any of Mm. interviews with him? No. There's one on the dissolve. There's, they're all over the place. And I basically, have kind of stalked the interviews as I see them. I'll read every single one. And he is really just, he's a smart guy and he comes across as like nice and personable and, and he's not afraid to share his ideas, you know, like some artists are where, you know, my, my work speaks for itself. I don't, I don't (laughs) want to talk about it. Like he's, he's very open. Yeah. Um, and if you follow him on social media, he's he's really active and good there. Mm-hmm. And um, he'll post uh, photos of his niece, who was the voice of Emily Prime. Yeah. And so he's like really open about his experience with it, too. Which, again, is interesting with your idea, too, about sharing mm-hmm. you know, your personal life on social media. Because he's, he's pretty open about it. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about uh, what we've been playing. I have been playing... 
Destiny. That's all I'm going to ever be playing for the first Forever. part. The only other thing I've been playing, I, I'm saving for my recommendation. So I'll talk about that later in the episode. So what have you been playing? I've been playing The Disappearance of Ethan Carter. Is that a Steam game? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, so I basically have a, a policy where I am always looking at games on Steam, but I won't buy them until they are like five dollars or less. Right. And then and then I'll I'll pick up a game if it looks interesting. So Steam and Steam is always having sales. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Like they have like. The Monday Madness sale, the Wednesday Crazy sale, the Thursday Madness sale. Yeah. Oh, whatever. Uh, I think I said Madness twice. Anyway, um, <laughs> they had a game called This War of Mine on sale and The Disappearance of Ethan Carter. Uh-huh. And so Ethan Carter just looks like... Um, I looked at the cover and I thought Twin Peaks. I was like, the, mm-hmm. just the cover art makes me feel like this. And I watched one half of a review because I didn't want to get spoiled uh-huh. and the review is basically like this game's amazing so like done so i start playing through last night mm-hmm. and uh i turn off all the lights uh-huh. and i have my headphones in and i'm just watching you know this game and about 15 minutes in i had an experience that i haven't had with a game ever where i was like i want a lease to be a part of this. (laughs) Like I, there's actually a game now where I want to play with her. I don't know how it would work. Uh It's a single player. It would basically be like, Elise, you need to sit down next to me to watch watch me me play this. Watch me play this. (laughs) Was that because you were scared or just because you thought it was so interesting that she would want to experience it? It was so interesting. Uh It, it made me want to be a game developer. (laughs) Uh I know nothing about game developing. Yeah. But, it is the the closest thing I can compare it to that I know you've played is Alan Wake, mm-hmm. but there's no mechanic of like you don't have like a gun, you don't have a flashlight. It's, it's a more of a puzzle game. Mm-hmm. So you basically start as this guy, and I don't even know if I'm a detective or a writer, but I start in the woods and I'm kind of narrating my own story about this kid, and I'm here to help him and obviously he's disappeared. So you're in this open world and it starts. The first thing that says as text is like, this is a narrative that does not hold your hand. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you're there, you're in the woods. And so I'm walking around. It's beautiful. And you're, it looks like, you know, where we went to that cabin what like there's mountains mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, so you're walking around and all of a sudden these traps start springing up. Um, like a spiked ball comes flying down and mm-hmm. almost hits you. And and then you find these railroad tracks and then you see like this spot of rope has been cut. It looks like somebody was maybe tied to the tracks. Then like 15 feet ahead, there's a blood, like just this huge pool of blood mm-hmm. going down a trail. And you can inspect these things. So as you're walking around the environment, a little inspecting will come up, you click a button and then all these words start coming up and it's like, you know, uh, was the body dragged? Did he crawl away? You know? Um, and he's trying to figure like piece everything together. Mm -hmm. 
you find the body a little ways away. You can inspect that. Before I know it, in the middle of the woods, there are these like four screens and you just have to sequence them right. So you turn them all on. And then an astronaut appears like in the middle of the forest. Mm-hmm. And as you start walking towards him, the astronaut will like turn and run away. And so you're following him like through the forest. You follow the astronaut, you get sucked up into a spaceship, and then you're in space. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like looking around this little tiny spacecraft. And then you're back in the woods. And that's where I'm at right now. Okay. And it, it's just, it's kind of the way that I would want to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's like bloodline where it's just perfectly parceled out. For me, in my speed of this game that's just so benign with these darker elements. And like I've said, the game itself is like gorgeous, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know if you can run it. I don't even know what it needs. Probably but if you have a not. computer... Um, it, it was, it was, again, it was like five bucks on steam and it's a few years old, but it's so far it's phenomenal. And what's it called again? The disappearance of Ethan Carter. Okay. And so it's like a side scroller. You, you play, it's a first person. Okay. So you're like walking around the environment and it's rendered really beautifully. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually, that's why I wanted to bring my computer over to like force you like it's it's that kind of game Mm -hmm. where you you're like i know i'm going to be annoying play this (laughs) you know okay is that you have you been playing anything else that's it i've been playing alto's adventure oh that's right yeah which is an ios game yeah ios game so what are the social media features of the game well i guess i misused it you can i guess you can share like your your score maybe on like facebook or twitter or whatever But it's like a, it's like a, it's like tiny wings, right? Yeah. Except not, there, there's really no mechanic, you know, like tiny wings. You have to like time your down right. to shoot off or whatever. This is literally just an endless mountain mm-hmm. and you're chasing llamas that got away. Mm-hmm. And it, again, it kind of cycles through. There's a, there's rain, there's night, there's snow, there's sun. And, um, you know, the, the the mechanic is basically push the screen to jump, hold down to do a flip. Okay. That's it. And it's just really beautiful, really simple. And I play it before I go to sleep. And it mm-hmm. puts me in the mood to sleep. <laughs> okay. So if you have insomnia, uh-huh. you know, the music is just nice and soothing. Right. And the environment is nice and soothing. I think I got it on sale on the iPad for like 99 cents. I think okay. there's like a special mm-hmm. sale or something. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about music or what you've been listening to. I'm going to talk about music. Okay. I listened to today. I listened to, uh, I think it's a guy, <laughs> but Good start. the band's name, but I think it's like one guy, right? Right. But the name of the project or whatever is American Wrestler. Ooh, Have you heard of that? Familiar. So the name of the band and the album is American Wrestler. It comes out tomorrow. And so I've only listened to it once on, uh, I think it's streaming on, what's that thing called? Sound? Cloud? Cloud. Uh, but it's pretty good. I don't know if I'm like super into it yet. 
there are a couple songs on it that I really like a lot. But so once it comes out tomorrow, I'm going to listen to it some more. But it's called American Wrestlers. And that was going to be my recommendation. But I found something else that I'd rather okay. talk about. But American Wrestler, that's that's outside of your recommendations to me of Jesse Balin, which we will talk about. Well, we can talk about that now or we can talk about it later. But Jesse Balin and Courtney Barnett, that's all I've been listening to. Have you listened to the new Courtney Barnett album? I did. <laughs> Do you want to tell me why you like it so much? Oh, my goodness. Because I have no idea why. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Courtney Barnett is something I've been listening to literally on repeat. Mm-hmm. And something I was guaranteed that you would, you'd be at least intrigued or interested by. Mm-hmm. The reason is because of this. Number one, she is... So she does this thing like starting off where vocally she's kind of like speak singing, like mm-hmm. she's kind of going in and out of that. And I can I compare it to like a abstract painter who is painting abstractly, mm-hmm. but you know that they understand the fundamentals of painting versus somebody who just is doing abstract painting because that's all that ever either, either really appealed to them, which is the benefit of the doubt that you're giving them. Or maybe it's covering up the fact that they don't have talent. Mm -hmm. And Courtney Barnett is not covering up talent. Like I think she has a great voice and it comes out on Depreston. So Depreston is the most kind of straight ahead, straightforward song Mm -hmm. on there. And her singing is really, really good. she, She has a great voice. So then the speak singing aspect, you realize like Bob Dylan is a choice of voice. Like that's that's Treaded on thin ice here. That, that, that's what she's how she's choosing to uh-huh. convey her message, which is the second reason why I love Courtney Barnett. Her lyrics are in the same vein of World of Tomorrow, in the sense of there there are these statements that are laid out uh-huh. and then this subtle kind of story that is being teased out underneath it. Uh So it sounds like, you know, she can be singing about laying in bed, looking at a crack on her ceiling or doing whatever, but then it will tie back around and she's telling you a story about her life or she's revealing something and it comes out in like a little moment. So going back to my favorite song on the album, Depreston, she sings about you know, going house hunting, but not really looking to buy, just looking at some houses. And they go to this rich neighborhood and they go into this house that's being sold and they're walking through and she's commenting on the house. And then all of a sudden she's commenting about the handrails in the shower and this picture of a, of a boy in Vietnam. And you realize that she's now commenting on the history of this, house mm-hmm. that there's an old lady who is degenerating and, and needs to sell this house now. And Courtney Barnett is just now coming like into contact with that, with that person, with that life. Mm-hmm. And in that one little com- comment, she's tying it together, right? She's not just singing about like, I went and saw this house, blah, blah, blah. I make lattes now mm-hmm. and I save money. Um, it's, it's, it's all working in a, in a grander scheme. So the lyrics are really subtle and revealing mm-hmm. about her and her life. And I think it's 
fantastic. Can I read you one of the lyrics that I wrote down specifically? Uh, can I say, yeah, you can read the one <laughs> one of your lyrics here, taking out of context, out of the whole album of lyrics. Yeah, please read. Okay, read are you this. ready? I'm ready. Give me all your money and I'll make some origami honey. Yeah. I like it. Any idea? What 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 came before it? Do you I remember have no the lyric idea. Before it? The, the lyric that came before it, she's like, she if you say that lot, I'm, if you say that I'm exceptional, um, I'm, I'll only disappoint you, you know. Mm-hmm. And so what she's commenting on is like, if you if you tell me something, you build me up. I'm just gonna disappoint. Like if you give me all your money, I'm just gonna fritter it, fritter it away, mm-hmm. right? I'm just gonna make origami out of it or I'm just going to spend it. I'm going to blow it, you know? So she's not, she's saying that she's not going to do anything useful with what you give her or you can't mm-hmm. expect her to like whatever you give her, she's just going to take. Okay. <laughs> Watching all the movies, drinking all the smoothies. Yeah. That's I think, I, th- I, think really she, I think she's singing, along to. I think she's singing about her partner there and they were probably, She's watching movies, watching movies and drinking smoothies. I mean, you know, whether or not like I, I go back to the fact of if if you tie this again to confessional songs or even punk music, Mm -hmm. right? The lyrics are mundanely confessional and it's not about the lyrics in, in, in essence, right? It's not about every single lyric adding up to a profound statement. Sure. But it's all revealing of her life. So, yeah. And sometimes it's for rhythm, I bet. But that origami line, I think that has meaning behind it. Sure. It just wasn't my thing. And the the talk singing thing you're talking about, it reminds me, obviously not in a good way, of like rap rock music in some sense. And it also reminds me of like you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of pop punk music, which is not something at 32 years old I'm really into anymore. Well, and the music, and it's obviously neither of those things completely, right? It just has sort of flavors of those things that really, that I really just kind of like, they, it's just kind of enough to make you sort of turn your head a little bit and be like, eh, this is kind of like teetering. This is like bringing back bad memories for me. And then, but it's also kind of like, and then you pair all of that with like some of the nonsensical lyrics. And it just reminded me of like, kind of like the goofy Beatles songs. You know what I mean? Like some of the Sergeant Pepper's stuff, sure. Yellow Submarine stuff. And I'm not a huge Beatles fan. So, but. <laughs> And two, you know, I obviously can be very quick to judge something. And so by the second song, when the origami line came up, I was just kind of like, I'm done with this. Oh, so you didn't I listened, even listen? I, no, I listened to the whole thing. Okay. I did listen to the whole thing. But I checked out after the second song. Oh, man. Okay. I feel like, I feel like number one, you need to get new ears. And I feel, I feel like number two, you know, with... With, with this album and you know oh we, i did skip one of the songs which one there was a song that was very bluesy in nature and it was very slow 
and it was really getting the best of me. And so I turned my screen on to see like what the deal with the song was. And I saw that it was seven minutes long. So I just was like, <laughs> next, I'm not listening to this. Um, okay. Th- this is what I'll say too. Like for, for me, if, if there's one, if you're thinking about if Courtney Barnett is right for you, this song is not representative of the album. But again, I go back to depressed mm-hmm. and there's her refrain at the end of that where she's talking about if you have, you know, half a million, you can tear this down and start rebuilding. Mm-hmm. And she like gets on that refrain. Number one, it is an, it's a great like lyrical refrain to be coming back to. And it's a great thematic refrain that this whole life is just a commodity. It can just, you know, with this much money, you can just come in and wipe this woman's house and her history of this house and her mm-hmm. memories away, you know? And to me, if if that thematically doesn't land with you, then the themes on the rest of the album probably aren't either. And musically, I just don't know how anybody can listen to that song and just not be like, this is really good. And even from the first song on the album, be like, this is at least interesting in terms of music that's being made today. Sure. I I mean, look, music, and that's the thing about music. It's so personal, right? It's so, your everybody's tastes are so personal and so, like, for whatever mu- reason, music is so much more of an individual uh, taste than a movie is. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because I, th- I think there's more moving parts, right? There's somebody's voice. There's right. you know where where, where a film and it, is. It just and those themes are great. I love the themes. You explaining them is very interesting. I think those are interesting themes. But the mu- the 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 delivery the music as a delivery as the delivery mechanism just doesn't yeah doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I mean if you're if you're interested, if anybody else is interested, watch some of her live performances too. She she's a really great musician and she sounds great. Sure. Live. So try that out too. Uh is there anything else that you've been listening to or is Yes. Okay. Um Tobias Jesso. Oh right, the Jr. goofy singing guy. Right. Um this is a guy who does like kind of piano ballads mainly. And he's like a throwback and we listen to the best show and right now um, Tom Sharpling has a, <laughs> a one-sided uh, rivalry against um, Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Yeah, mm-hmm. Billy Joel. And I find it hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm, I'm afraid to hear what he thinks of Tobias Jesso Jr. Mm-hmm. Because I think Tobias Jesso Jr. is like the good side of... Um, of that kind of music, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's he's he sounds like Fairby Lionheart. I'm not sure if you've, I've never even heard that name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think his voice has an interesting aspect to to it. It at, at times he reminds me of Randy Newman, uh-huh. um, and Randy Newman stinks. I'm okay, right on the ledge here and say Randy Newman stinks. Okay, so you're starting a one side rivalry. Yep. I'm planting right. the flag. All right, Randy. The line starts here. <laughs> now you got to find us. 
<laughs> an obscure podcast, <laughs> and then you got to respond. There's your challenge. You got to write a song. He'll probably write right. a song about you. Sure. Um, but yeah, to, Tobias Gesso Jr., I found him on Pitchfork, and they, they love the album, and I gave it a shot. And again, I think it's it's really surprising. I listened to the whole album, waiting every song, being like, oh, okay, I know where this is going. And he surprised me. In every song, there was something something interesting happening in it. And um, and I'm very pleased with the album. So I like to balance my Courtney Barnett with my Tobias Jesso mm-hmm. Jr. Mm-hmm. And um, watch my movies and drink all the smoothies. <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw him perform on Conan or somebody, or maybe it was Kimmel or uh, what's his <laughs> name? Uh, Jimmy I think Fallon. there's only two other late night people uh, <laughs> that you have to cycle uh, through. And he just is such a goofy like performer. He just makes, like I was saying, he makes goofy like John Mayer faces. Oh, yeah. And I just can't. I would never. I'm, ne- I'm not ever going to be able to separate that from the music. Okay. I will never be able to listen to the music and not in my mind's eye see this dopey white guy making faces while he sings. Well, your life is that much lesser <laughs> for missing out on it. Um, yeah. And and the last thing that I'll say really quick, we've been listening to uh, a live performance of uh, you recommended Hound's Tooth. Uh-huh. There's a band called Hound Mouth, mm-hmm. and they did Letterman. Mm-hmm. And I watched that performance. I actually listened to the whole album on NPR and was like, oh, that was good. Didn't really stand out to me. And then the live performance on Letterman, I was like, all right, Hound Mouth. I'll check that out. Yeah, check it out. All right, we will take a quick break, and we will come back with a quick discussion on Jesse Balin. And her album, which was Keith's recommendation last week. And I will recommend a game for Keith to play for next week. Your recommendation of last week, from last week, was Jesse Balin. I'm glad I was in Courtney Barnett. <laughs> well, it might as well have been. Oh yeah, there we, here we go. <laughs> Jesse Balin, Dark Place, streaming on NPR. NPR First Listen. So, what do you like about Jesse Balin? What? Right. Why? Why did you recommend it? I think Courtney Barnett was the warm-up. I'm glad that we had that conversation. Well, and I, yeah, I will say this. You recommended Jason Balin last week, and then you texted me not too soon thereafter, and we're just like, I rescind my recommendation of Jesse Balin, and I would rather have you listen to Courtney Barnett. So I just listened to both of them. Mm-hmm. But we'll just talk about Jesse Balin, because right. that was the actual recommendation from the last episode. <sighs> and rescind not in the sense of like, I no longer like this anymore. It just yeah. was, I would rather recommend Courtney. Bryant. Yeah, because I think I think what stood out to me about Jesse Balin at first was were her ties to, you know, Kings uh, of Leon right. and uh, Richard Swift. Swift. So I listened to the album, though, and what I heard was 
really interesting production. Number one, I felt like just like with Tobias Gesso Jr., I had a sense of where the songs would would go, but they there were were either interesting like layered vocals on there, or the production just kind of took a interesting turn at some point, and I ended up kind of listening through and kept waiting to be like, this is the song that I'm gonna keep going because on first listen I'll usually start at the top when they add new stuff and just work my way down and that was one album that I kept waiting to hit the next band on Mm -hmm. I just kept listening and I was like this is actually interesting for what she's doing because if you hear like you know uh female singer songwriter acoustic guitar in your mind already falling asleep In your mind, you feel like, okay, I know where that's going. And then you listen to it and it's, and it's actually really interesting. And there are at least two tracks that are kind of like stand out. I'm going to go back to those. Like those are really, really good, um, good tracks. And the rest of the album I find interesting. So just like when you recommended Houndstooth, it's not that it like blew me out of my chair and it Mm -hmm. knocked me back. But it was music that you think you've heard before a million times, done slightly different and with a with a sense of like a, it knows what it is. Right. Richard Swift knows what this music is. And where whereas with she and him, you know, the production kind of goes whole hog mm-hmm. into like, yeah, this is who we are, like, and we're owning it hundred percent. Um with Jesse Balin. Richard Swift is like, we know what this is, but we're not going to push it so far that we become a parody mm-hmm. of ourselves and of music, of this style of music. We're going to actually do something interesting. So I thought it was it was worthy enough for you to kind of listen to and weigh in on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it was it was fine. But that's I think and I think that's a different approach that we take, especially in music, but in probably in most things where I think you're, you like to listen to new things and you like to listen to it for maybe a few weeks and then move on to the next thing. Whereas I like to list, find something I like and then listen to it for six months straight. <laughs> and then in, if I run into kind of anything else in that six months, I am not interested you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing I've been doing with Destiny, right? Destiny came out in September of last year or October, and I have not spent any significant amount of time playing any other game. You know what I mean? So when I listen to the Jesse Balin thing, it's it's fine, but it doesn't grab me in any certain way, and I don't... I guess most of the things I like to listen to are things that like I can imagine myself listening to all the time or like I want to listen to all. You know what I mean? Like with the Jesse Bannon thing, I listen to it. it's not bad. It's the same thing with the Courtney Barnett. I don't think the Courtney Barnett stuff is bad. It just is not really my thing. And I'm not like, I don't know. It just doesn't grab me in any way. And the same thing with uh, Jesse Bannon. And like the production is interesting and it is definitely like, it's got like a 60s sort of feel to it that I probably most of Richard Swift's stuff does. Right. But it's not 
uh, it's not like you said, it's not she and him levels of like where it almost feels like kitschy. You know what I mean? Where it's like it's like it's not just winking at you. It's also like tapping you on the shoulder and nudging your elbow. And you know what I mean? Being like, eh, you know, you hear you see what we're doing right now. All right. Uh, But it you know, it was fine. Did you read the write up on the album on NPR? Yeah. So I wanted to I wanted to read this paragraph and see if it stuck out to you. Yeah, I have it pulled up too. Okay. <laughs> so this is the very second paragraph of the write-up. And this made me hate the album more than anything that the album ever did. Dedicating such a somberly named project to her toddler daughter might at first seem like a perverse gesture akin to reading the bell jar in a kindergarten classroom. But the album's title track, the first song Balin ever wrote for her young uh, progeny, conveys the true character of this expressive act, stunningly thoughtful tenderness. <laughs> it's an enveloping lullaby during which the singer-songwriter slowly and gracefully swoops the, scoops the notes out of the simplistic melody and bequeaths them and bequeaths to her sleeping child the illumination of self-knowledge and the solace of an endearing emotional bond. Man, like, <laughs> that is just, like, like give me a... Br- you know what I mean? It's just it's like, I understand you're writing for the NPR blog, but, like... NPR down a bit. <laughs> right, that- right, exactly. Turn your NPR knob down from 11, put it on, like, 2 or something, like... <laughs> Come and on. rewrite that that paragraph, right? Or just take it out altogether. It just was like, ugh. Yeah, that tries a little hard. Yeah. All right. So, Jesse Balin, it's out there if you want to listen to it. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get the album. Are like, you? oh yeah, yeah. Like, and and that's the other reason why. Like, I wouldn't recommend something that I literally am just going to listen to. Sure. You know, one one time. So I think it's worth. I think it's worthy of a. I'll be surprised if I get to December of this year and I'm still not like listening to portions of it. That's a, what is this, April? April. That's eight months away. You're going to be listening to this for eight months? Yeah, there's there's one song on there All right. in in particular that I think is I'm gonna be. going to set a okay. reminder on my calendar. And if we're, when we're still doing this in December... I'm going to spring it on you like well, a trap. Well, I know that you hate top 10 lists. I'm going to try and do one this uh, right. th- this year, and I, right. I'd be surprised. I, okay. I guarantee you Jesse Bailey will not be on your top 10 list. Okay. I guarantee it. There's right. no way. I'm done listening to music for the rest of the year. <laughs> All right. Okay. My recommendation for you, hopefully you have not played this game because I didn't ask you before we started recording. It's a game called Freshman Year. Have you heard of it? Nope. And it's game is a very loose definition. It's kind of a it's a more or less a text adventure. Uh, it's like five minutes long, but it's <laughs> it's pretty interesting. I saw uh, Vox did a write up on it, so I decided to check it out. I played it at work. Um, but that's my recommendation. That's all I'm going to say about it. If you just search, well, probably searching freshman year is probably not going to get you to it. But if you just search like freshman year game or just even do like freshman year Vox, I'm sure that will bring it up. So it's just like on a It's website. a web-based game, yeah. Okay. It just is a click thing. You can get through it five times or five times in five minutes. I played it twice 
just to do like the alternate paths. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's like these are the decisions I made the first time. Now let me make the opposite decisions and see what happens. But that's my recommendation. Uh, freshman year. All right. All right. So that does it for this week's uh, show. You can find links to all the stuff we talked about will be in the show notes. Links uh, for the music that's in the show will be in the show notes. You can uh, find my email address in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Blizzard with nine Zs. Keith is... At Things Come Right. Still at Things Come Right. You still think about changing it? Yeah, I may just change myself to nine Z's, like the number nine <laughs> uh-huh. and then Z's. Right. Uh, yeah, so that does it. Uh, we will be back next week. Bye.